Hello, Revelers. It is the middle of December, and I am finally getting the next episode that I recorded in mid-October out. It is my friend Diane Holbrook Kohler. Kohler. I'll never say that, right, unless I live in Germany. Anyway, I think you're really going to like her perspective on things and how just sort of down to earth and go with the flow, but being cognizant of what's happening and how serendipitous things are and how grateful you can be while they happen. As well as talking about life in Germany, I have such great information at the end of this episode. Please stick around to the outro, as we call it in biz, to find out more. And there are some fantastic show notes. Remember that some apps have really easy links for the show notes and some you don't. So just go to my website if you're using one of those apps that don't, because I really think you're going to get a lot out of the show notes today. It is coming up to the holidays. And as we've been talking about all year about mental and emotional health, That does actually not come up that much in this one. This one's more like one of those Friday Oprah episodes. It was always lighter than the rest of the week. And you know what? That's okay. We can have light episodes that are still endearing and fun and informative without having to be soul searching sometimes, you know? But I think it's just the right touch of soul searching. And I think you're going to learn a little bit about the difference between what your gut's telling you to do versus what your head thinks you should do. And so think about that head heart dichotomy and maybe what we can do to not have it be such a dichotomy and that and the shortened distance between your head and your heart. That's really the theme of today. So now let's talk about that in relation to mental and emotional health. Uh, The holidays are hard no matter what, and they're going to be particularly hard this year. Thanksgiving was uh, pretty hard for a lot of people. A lot of people are just having a super hard time, and it doesn't matter If you're having problems, don't minimize them. Get professional therapy. Everyone can benefit from that at some point in their lives. And if if you don't do it today, that's okay, but be open to it. And you guys know that I have affiliated with BetterHelp.com. It is a neck, it's actually the world's largest network of licensed, accredited, and experienced counselors. They can help you with a range of issues depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, all the stuff that we talk about all the time. And their counselors are online. You can chat, you can phone, you can do video sessions. They've got almost 15,000 therapists in this network. There are over 1,300,000 people getting help. I only tell you those numbers because I don't want you to feel alone. I want you to say, you know what? All these people are doing it. It's not just me. I'm not just being a baby. I'm not being a wuss. I deserve to get some clarity, some attention to what's going on in my life and move forward in the new year. So I really hope that you'll check out Better 
help. That's H-E-L-P.com. And if you use the code Revel Revel, you actually get a savings off your whole first month counseling. So I can't stress enough how cool it is to take care of yourself and take care of yourself by being in therapy. I do hope that this episode is a little bit of a, an emotional therapeutic hug. It's just sweet. So without further ado, Diane Curler. Hello and welcome to Revel Revel. I am Lauren Drabble and today I have my very long time, so ancient, dear friend, Diane Kohler, who I just found out that I'm not pronouncing it right, but I can't really do it the German way. So take it away, Diane, two ends. Yes, hello. Uh, I'm Diane Kohler, as Germans would pronounce it. And I'll try to say it again, Kohler, yeah. almost like an E-R-H kind of a sound, Kohler. Yeah, it's a, it has an umlaut. The O has an umlaut over it, which is a a letter in the alphabet that the American or English alphabet doesn't have. So, for example, I have to, in my American passport, my name would be spelled K-O-E-H-L-E-R, but in German, it would be K-O with the umlaut, which is the two dots over the O, H-L-E-R. So that's it's hard for me. I've been here quite some time. It's taken me also a while to master pronouncing my own name. I was about to ask how long and then, well, okay, we'll get to that and how you met Florian and all that good stuff. Yeah. So as you know, we start off with how we know each other. So I'll just drop the bomb and say AmeriCorps, but I want you to tell us everything that you remember about why you were in AmeriCorps and how we met and all that good stuff. Yeah. Well, actually it's, I I did two years of AmeriCorps and I guess maybe the First thing is, you know, I don't even know if this program exists anymore in America, but one thing that I was really drawn to it was because the idea behind it was service, you know, giving back to your community. And I had really felt, you know, although I didn't have it as, you know, I I was very privileged in the sense I was able to go to university and I had, you know, I was able to have the opportunity to do a lot of things that, you know, many people in the world don't have a chance to do. And I really wanted to have some time to give back. I guess that was really my, my thing to give, give back to the community. And I was very much interested and still am interested in environmental issues. And I had, I talked to a friend who had heard about this and they said, yeah, they're, they're doing this whole water quality thing and watershed protection And I was really interested in that because it focused on urban creeks and urban tributaries. And and I thought, yeah, that that sounds really interesting. So I applied and I I was accepted into the program. And I did one year. We had started several initiatives and I really wanted to see some of those through. So I did a second year and that is the year that I met you. Yeah, that was, and that was a, a really fun team that we were on. I think we all grew in our own way that year as well. So you did two consecutive years. I did two consecutive years. I was really, I think only maybe one other person did that. Most everybody felt really done, I think, because it's not a glamorous uh, kind of job. It's very, very muddy. 
Yeah, it's very muddy. And, you know, it was like, uh, I think, you know, you're living on a stipend, which was, you know, incredibly low. But of course, they, they did at the end give you money to pay off your college loans, for example. So, I mean, the kind of that, that reward sort of came after, but, you know, the actual day-to-day living was quite hand-to-mouth at points. Yeah, which I think helped with the bonding because we were all poor. <laughs> yeah, we were all poor. We found found ways to entertain ourselves without money and right and without having to worry about how we looked because we were oh, muddy everywhere. We everywhere. Went. Yes, yes, exactly. So this was then. I met you then a good year to two years after you finished going to school at the University of Tennessee, right? So it was must have been because I joined immediately after graduating. So I had this idea like, oh, I could go work, but I I knew like I would never probably get the opportunity or once you start really going from a poor college student to, you know, earning money and feeling you have these responsibilities, like you wouldn't just be like, okay, I'm just going to actually take a 10, 12 months off and just go back and do community service. It was really sort of everything, everything just fell into place as it did. And it was very, it really pulled me to it. And a lot of people were like, are you crazy? What are you doing that for? But for me, it just really spoke to me. So what was your degree in? My bachelor's degree is in mm-hmm. business and foreign language, so international business uh, coupled with a foreign language. I did oh. French, Spanish. French and Spanish. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had a minor Spanish. And, but of course, I ended up in Germany, which I'm sure we'll get to at some point. <laughs> yeah. you, don't, you can't plan these things. No. So then what was the plan when you finished AmeriCorps? What were you going to do next? Um, you know, a lot happened over those, you know, those two years. I think a lot of my... I don't want to say my values shifted, but I realized I wanted to go back to school actually, instead of going into the work field. So I went back and I got my master's in education and second language acquisition. So that was what was interesting for me. Yeah. And, and of course I, I met my, that my now husband at that time uh, when I was back working on my master's degree. And that was again, UT? Yeah. So I went, I went back at UT. It was very easy. I got into a graduate. Again, these things just sort of fell into place. Like I could have applied to other places, but I had an opportunity to get a graduate assistantship, which was, you know, very appealing to me. And I, I, I went ahead and I took that. I, I don't regret that at all. It was very, was very good because my, assist, uh, my graduate assistantship was at the International House there. And it was just a great place to be really, really good people and, and sort of got me ready for, I guess, the rest of my life, which is really just being always in this international sort of environment that I, that I found myself in over the last, you know, 20 plus years. So it's so funny, you know, I ended up only being at UT for one year, maybe Mm -hmm. one and a half, because it was very weird how I had to finish up school there. And I have such vague memories. I have so clear memories of our time with AmeriCorps. Mm -hmm. And we were around UT and UT people and stuff because of the way our AmeriCorps was structured. But I didn't really get on campus until we were almost done. Very few places on campus I can remember like clearly have a vision of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the International House is one of them. And I don't think I ever went inside. I didn't ah. know you were in there, working yeah. there, hanging out, doing your thing, or I would have come in and seen you. Yeah, that's funny. 
<laughs> it was, you know, what is really funny is like after that year of AmeriCorps, we all kind of, you know, we all were doing our own thing a little bit. You know, I remember seeing, you know, a few people here and there and like I would find out what was going on with you through them and they you probably talk to people and like find out about what I was doing and so like I kind of had this overview of where people were and what they were doing but it's true we didn't I didn't the actual really seeing of people like we were so intensely together you know every single day like all day and you know we did a lot of trips together which was, you know, part of uh, the requirement there for the things that we're working on, which were also really, really great opportunities to network with like-minded people and interesting people, always interesting people. So, yeah, I, I think that's, it's, I don't know at what point we lost touch. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I don't either. It was almost like AmeriCorps ended and boom. And then in, if it weren't for a few people who still lived in Knoxville running into each other around the same time that Facebook started, Mm-hmm. Then yeah, I mean, if they, knows, if everyone yeah. had moved away, it would have been super hard to find each other. Yeah. So, so you heard the Kim episode, Kim yes. Courts, yes, so, yes. So you heard us talk about you know how we met and then how I met Simon, mm-hmm. and you said about trips. So yes. Now the year before, you know, your first year with AmeriCorps, did your team do trips out of town? We did this really cool trip to Chicago. Oh, that's right. To an urban water conference. And that was really, you know, what I really liked about at least the program that I was doing in AmeriCorps is you were really surrounded by professional people really trying to make a difference in water quality and educating people about urban water quality and the impacts that that has. So, you know, that was, I, I remember that trip because it was quite a big one that we had done. And then I, I can't, rec- I'm sure we did other little trips. You know, you always were, we had to go to Nashville for things or we did, but, or Atlanta. I, I can't really, I remember this second year, your year somehow is much stronger in my mind because I also think that the program was just that much more established and every, all the work that we had done in the first year, I think led to, some recognition and other, you know, we joined up with other, other AmeriCorps groups that were in that region doing similar kinds of projects. Which is funny because from my point of view, I don't really understand why we went to Atlanta for our trip where I met Simon. Yeah. And you know how memory is so bad and my version versus yours who had been in AmeriCorps for longer, you might remember, but it seemed to me like we were supposed to do something else and that fell apart. And so that we went to Atlanta instead to work on that reclamation project. I don't remember. You know, I, I think, I don't know if something had fallen through, but it was a, it could have been something like that. But I also remember there was an outbound, out, is that an outbound? Outbound, I think. Outward bound yeah. group that had networked with an AmeriCorps group in Atlanta that I understood, and they got us in to help with their project. But I think they were the starters of this project. Okay, cool. So as you heard in the Kim episode, you and she are really the only people that are in my How I Met Simon story. <laughs> yeah. You know, she has a choice role, but you have the pivotal role. Oh my word. (laughs) (laughs) And I would, after so long, after, you know, 25 years, basically love to hear what you remember of that first night in Atlanta. Yeah. I remember we had decided to go to a pub 
or uh, of sorts. I I say pub, but it was I mean, it's, of course, it's probably it was like a bar. It was a bar. Yeah, <laughs> it was a dive. <laughs> It was really like, and it was, but it was just geographically close to our youth hostel that we were staying in. And we, it was a handful of us, not even all of us. And I I don't know why, I I don't know why more people that maybe we left, we went early. I can't, I don't know. We just divided up as we did. So we were there and we were having some drinks and I know that Simon was there as well. And he was alone. Was he alone? Yeah. Yeah. So, and he kind of just started as he does. So he's very gregarious and charming. So he just started talking to our group and, you know, we kind of, we weren't really sure. I think we were a little skeptical because he was, you know, we were kind of a a closed group. Like we came in as a group. I think we might've been all been girls too. I'm not sure. Oh no, no, no. It was Marty and Sean and... Okay. So we were, ah, okay, yeah. good. Okay, I, yeah, you're right. You're right. We were just a big mixed group. And so he just sort of joined on and I think he was also staying in our youth hostel. Is that possible? That's right. Right. So then we just started finding out all of these things. And, and I remember you two having sort of longer conversation or more in depth or more, I don't want to say personal, but a more private, like somehow, you know, like not really severing off from the group, but you had like a, chemistry going, you know, like this sort of, there was an intensity between you two. And I remember going back, I think you stayed. Some of us went back to the youth hostel and you stayed with Simon. Is that something like that? Or you went back and you went with Simon somewhere? Well, it's funny because, you know, just because I've been telling this version for like 25 years doesn't mean it's accurate. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is all vague because I remember like the next night you guys went to the uh, Stone Temple Pilot concert. No, or where we went to, but yeah, because I was like, shit. Oh, I can't no, say cusses. Okay. <laughs> because I was like, yes, I want to go. And you had, I don't know, somehow he had got, you had both gotten tickets. And I was like, Arr. I was like, I was really happy for you guys, but I was like, oh, and then I was like, I can't be a third leg, but you went to the Stone Temple Pilot concert. Well, I think we went and it didn't happen. I have to ask him because oh, I remember we well, en- you didn't go. You, you had tickets. We to go. ended up at Barnes and Noble. Oh no, really? On peach tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we You do remember this concert, right? That you had tickets or had, were planning to go to it, or maybe you were just trying to go get tickets. I don't remember. I don't yeah, this is so vague. I don't remember. I have to ask him and then I'll have to fill you in. Yeah. Because this is not part of our story. In fact, basically the story ends in a way once we start talking. Yeah. So in your pivotal role is that you were at one end of the table with Simon and I was at yes. the other end of the table. And that, you know, over the smoky room, a good probably six feet apart at least, because it was a long table full of a yeah. whole bunch of us. I always tell people that you gave me that look that women give yes. the other woman, like get this guy away from me yeah. look. <laughs> I may have done that. I may have, but because I remember him coming over and I, that, like I said, we were, I think as a group, we weren't really sure. And I think I was like saying like, do, do we want this guy over here with us? You know, like, and so you came over. Right. And then the key is that I thought that I was going to be a buffer and just yeah. sit there with yeah, you. Yeah. And as soon as I sat down with you, you took yeah. off to the other, <laughs> you took my seat and you left me with him. 
I might, I might was probably like, help me. But I, I think I was- <laughs> Help me, I'm ditching you. Yeah, no, it's so funny. Yeah, I do remember. That's when, I, and then I remember you guys just totally hitting it off. And that's kind of why it ends there because in like the traditional, you know, Hollywood romance thing, it's all about the meat. Once once they're together, then the movie ends, you know? Oh, right. Yeah, it's, of course it does. Because yeah. the next 25 years aren't as romantic. No. Yeah. But I, I do remember that. Yes. That's so funny. Okay. So you do remember questioning like this guy, like, who's this crazy I, guy? Why am I sitting next to him talking yes, to him? Yes. I remember he joined the group. And now that you say that, I distinctly had this feeling like, why is he, maybe he was only talking to me or something. And I was, came there with you guys. So I was like, I might've looked at you like, help me. Cause I, I felt like he was overwhelming. I don't, I, I can't really remember, but you know, he's a lot. He's a lot. He yeah. 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 <laughs> But it was, it was, I might also have been thinking like, this might be someone for you, Lauren. I don't think you were thinking that. I was, I was, I trying to just, uh, get, get, plan my escape. Yes, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But let's jump to the next big thing in the timeline. Cause that was early December. And then basically the first week of March, I tell you, Hey, uh, we're getting married. Yeah. And I was, I was like, you know, because I knew a little bit about where you were coming from because we had shared that, you know, and I knew your, you know, your, your position as being a single mom and you were living with your parents and I wanted you, I wanted to just make sure you felt like you weren't making choices because you felt you were no, had no options. I mean, obviously now in these years, that wasn't the case at all. But I remember being concerned just because of the circumstances that you were in and that you were, but it was interesting too, because he couldn't stay in the US, right? Unless you had gotten married, there was something. So, So there were those, all of those things that I think if you hadn't have had that sort of intensity of it's now or, or, or we do this and we see what happens or you know, we're really serious about this. And, you know, I don't know what conversations you had between each other. Of course, they must have been some real feelings, some genuine real feelings with you, for both of you. But I think all of us at America were just, oh my word, we hope that she's just going to be okay. And so besides my family uh, and Simon's family, you and Paul were the Paul? only people who came. And I don't remember how no, that happened. No, Sean was there. I have no pictures of Sean there. I don't think... Sean was there with uh, his yeah, wife. I don't remember him being there. I certainly don't have any pictures. That's so funny. Okay. Yeah. So we were the only ones there besides your family and not Simon's family. No, his family they was there. They yeah, out. they came. They found out, yeah. I think, on Monday, and they got there by Friday night from England. I remember the day being like, like you kept sort of waiting to see if there was like, there are, are they going to be these awkward moments sort of, and, you know, because everyone's just like got together, like you barely knew each other yeah. in that, in the sense, your families barely knew yeah. each other. And here you are meeting your in-laws and getting married, you know, almost in the same day. Yeah. Crazy. But I remember that it was really, it was a nice occasion. I remember Simon really put cake all over your face. <laughs> <laughs> and in that moment, I, I realized like he's really just sort of breaking this, breaking the ice of this moment in a That's way, you know? Funny. Yeah. It's yeah. so funny how you don't remember things without pictures after a while, you know? Yeah. So that's why I yeah. guess I forgot about Sean and I feel terrible about that. But yeah, then I remember I have a picture of cake all over my face, you know? The traditional, right. yeah, the yeah. traditional loving husband moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. 
How did you feel about that? Because I think you were really torn because you, I felt like you really wanted us, our, the support from us. And I think at times you felt like you didn't get that. And that's something that I feel bad about because I think it was really a missed, I don't want to say it was a missed opportunity, but I think we were, you know, like we were genuine, probably, you know, the first word we heard, we were like, oh my gosh, is this like we were skeptics, you know, not because we didn't believe you had feelings for each other. We just thought like, oh my goodness, how is she going to manage all that? Yeah. She's got so much other stuff going well, on. Well, you know, I think that I would probably be the same way, you know, with the whole rushed green card thing. You just met him. I mean, who gets married after knowing someone for like five weeks? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, obviously it can work out just like the odds are against yes, couples yes. who meet as like high school sweethearts. Yeah. But sometimes it works out, you know? And so I don't know. Right, right. You try to tell yourself to be smart and to go with your head, not your heart. And then sometimes it mm. just you can't. You it can't, no. Just can't. But, you know, in the end, I kind of like one thing that was always like, I was always sort of like drawn to you as a person when we in AmeriCorps was you were always, you always had this very sort of positive, curious energy and, curious you know, energy. Like a, that's a good yeah. title for my energy. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, like you were, oh, that's something interesting. I want to learn about that. Or I'm going to find out more about that. Or I'm going to go there. Or I'm going to start this. You know, that was something that was really, I really liked about you, you know, and you were, you were smart. You were an intelligent person as well. So it wasn't like you were just misguided floating around, you know, you had, you really saw stuff you, and you, you could wedge in there and sort of expand that and, and really take a look at stuff. I really appreciate that. You Interesting. Know, yeah. Interesting. Well, those are very kind words. Thank you. But I have to ponder that a little bit because there's definitely some things that you said in there. I'm like, really? And the other parts I'm like, yep, that's definitely right. So mm -hmm. <laughs> have to figure that out and unpack it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, yeah, I, you were, it was a searching time. I think that time for you as well. You know, so maybe that's well, why I think that that's what's really good about that year that you're, you're kind of in limbo, you know, <laughs> you carve out this time to, I'm going to do this program. And in a way, everything else is on hold because like for me, I was getting my residency in Tennessee and, you know, I had just moved there literally yeah. like yeah. a month before. So everything was chaotic. So, and I, you know, talking to Kim and talking to you, it's very much like, well, I'm going to do this because it's something I can do. It's something I feel like I should do. That's going to prepare me for the next thing or that's going to at least, it's going to make the transition period meaningful. Yeah. I mean, even you finding AmeriCorps is that sort of energy that I mean, like you, you weren't, you're not someone to sit still. You, you make things happen for you, you know, yeah. so it's a good it's a great quality. So enough about my crazy shotgun wedding. <laughs> Let, let's talk. It's the only one I've ever been to. So it's a memorable one. Well, and it happened in the South. So there you go. Yeah. That could, where else could it so be? So now let's talk about you meeting Florian at UT and how that happened. Yeah. Well, it's, we just had uh, some friends over and he was telling the story sort of from his perspective. And I've, you know, I've heard that before, but he said, I was working there and I was taking care of, you know, all of the files of all of the, the students that were coming to study doing their year abroad at the university. 
And one of the things that I decided to do that, you know, that year, because I realized that the international students don't know each other. And in the beginning, they're, they kind of rely on each other quite a bit because they're all in the same situation. And so I made this poster and I had put everyone's photo on it from their, from their application, you know, and their name and just the country they were from. And so I have really memorized sort of everybody. And, and the first day he comes to the university and he walks in my office and I'm like, oh, hi, Florian, how are you? And, you know, welcome. And he was just so, he was like just speechless that I knew who he was and his name. And he said, that just made such an impression on me. So I always have to, to laugh about that because, you know, for, for him, that was, he just did not expect that at all. And for me, I, you know, I had been working with these files for, you know, months, getting people everywhere. That's how we met was really, he was a, an exchange student that came to the university and I was there, you know, working on my master's and working in the office that managed the exchange students. So how did he feel when he saw that you knew everybody's names? More, um, more impressed I, or a little, little? Oh, I think he was, I think he was just impressed that, you know, like the whole, I, the whole idea that I, you know, that I would do that for them and, you know, make that or, or that I knew people's, people's names and things. So I think he was, <laughs> After he caught on and said, how, how do you know my name? I was like, well, there's this poster behind you. And, <laughs> but, I, you know, I think it was just a, a real, a welcome shock, you know, like yeah. a, a pleasant sort of thing. And then we met and yeah, you know, I really didn't want to get involved with A, an international student, because I know how that ends. <laughs> And B, you know, someone that I was working with in my, you know, that was sort of one of the files of my, you know, like it's, I didn't, I wasn't his teacher or anything like that. So, I mean, it wasn't like, so there was no real ethical problem, but I just thought like, oh, it's probably just better to have that a bit cleaner, you know, and like, you don't get involved with students that come through your office. But he was very patient and very persistent. So it's funny with this head versus heart thing that theme we're on. So your head saying yeah. not smart, not smart, but your your heart's telling you otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Aww. Absolutely. I mean, I till the end, you know, when he left and I I just I remember him driving him to the airport and I had never cried so much. I was just like a fountain of uncontrolled while I'm driving. You know, okay. You know, cause, and I just, I remember thinking to myself, like, I knew I shouldn't have done this. I knew I, I was doing, I knew what I was doing, but I still did it. And, you know, so you would think that was it because for me, I said, okay, that's it. You know, I was finishing in December. He left in October. I was finishing my master's in December. I'm like, I'm just going to go and I'm going to get a job, you know, with my, I'm really looking forward to it. Just getting my life back in order, sort of. And his dad calls me in November and says, there's only one thing my son would like for Christmas. And he bought me a ticket to come to Germany to their house to stay with them because I was a poor student. You know, I, I, even though I, I had a, uh, a graduate assistantship, but I had no money, you know, I couldn't have done that. And while I was in Germany over the break, you know, got to know his family. And that was really, really, I, I, if it wasn't for that, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like you talked about how things play out, you know, that the, the, the serendipity of things, I don't know if that's, was exactly serendipitous, but we, just the fact that he saw that and he was, he is a wonderful and generous man. And that, that's just show, shows you how, how he really is. But when I was there, we decided, okay, I have this time off. Germans have breaks in their university time differently. So he still had, 
like two years left of university when he came back to Germany. And they, were, they had this break in February. We decided to meet in Mexico and Oaxaca. I love Oaxaca. And we decided to meet there for five weeks. And while we were there, I just happened to send my CV off to one single place in Germany, company in Germany. And I had been applying at other places. I was predominantly looking at, you know, teaching in, in university. So I, I had applied to in Mexico and in Thailand. Those were two universities that I was interested in. And I just sent this application off to this just English school, yeah, in Germany. And without really thinking about it, from this incredibly slow internet cafe in Mexico somewhere, you know, like where you're just waiting for hours, you don't even know if it really went through. And then not that much later, I get this email back. And the person who was hiring was someone who was in my master's class. So I did my master's with like, I had this girl in classes with me. And she was like, are you, you know, should then we, so that was like a total serendipitous thing. Like that was like, oh my word, I don't, I couldn't have ever predicted that or planned that or anything. So I was like, oh my gosh, I never even thought that would, ha would come to real, a reality. It was just a, a one-off thing. And we, I said, oh, I'll just apply. So I also got accepted at this university in Mexico and in Thailand. So I had a real tough choice to make. Again, head versus heart. You know, I didn't speak a word of German. I didn't really know if I could live in Germany. If, you know, I knew that I like Germans in Germany, but is it somewhere you want to live your life? You know, it's, uh, it's that kind of thing. I, I had no real experience. I had been there traveling, um, interrailing in Europe, you know, so I'd been through, uh, you know, been to a few cities and things, but you know, I had no real impression of what it's like to live in Germany. And so, yeah, I followed my heart and I, I came to Germany and I ended up living about uh, probably about two and a half hour drive from where Florian was going to university, which was just perfect for me because I really, I wanted that because I wanted to be able to really evaluate Germany on my own. Cause I knew if I, if we were living together, that would have been, I would have just deferred everything, every decision to him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. my life, my friends would have been mm -hmm. his friends. And, you know, like you just sort of get absorbed and lose who you are a little bit. And you, you can't really evaluate. Is this something that I really think I can do? And I was in a city that was just south of Frankfurt. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was working there, working at different companies there, teaching English. And I met really lovely people and I really, I really did come to appreciate Germany and Germans themselves for the culture and the, the people that they are. And I decided after about nine months, I, I moved to Cologne, which is pronounced Köln. Oh, say it again. <laughs> and it's got an umlaut. It's an, one with an umlaut. It's Köln. Really? Köln. I've never heard that. Like you always hear, you know, Munich versus, was yeah. it Munch? Something like that. München, right? And so how we don't say it properly, but I've never heard Cologne said Cologne. any other way besides Cologne. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, you drink Kölsch. Oh, right. Yeah, right? yeah, of course. It comes from Cologne. Kölsch. Okay. Yeah. And it's interesting when I go back to the States because there's Kölsch everywhere yes. now. So uh, we're always trying it and saying, hmm, 
Oh yeah, a little yeah. bit. It's pretty good this one. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's not so far off. It doesn't taste the same for sure. And um, you know, when people go, Oh, I love Guinness, I'm like, Yeah, you think you do. Guinness doesn't <laughs> yeah, wait, just, yeah. Guinness does not taste anything like that in Ireland. No, no, it doesn't. Right? Okay. So you are living there on your own for nine months and then you move closer to him and then yeah, then we move. I move into okay. with him in okay. Cologne, and then you get married. What year? We got married in two thousand ten. So Macy was one year old, okay. our daughter. And you have now been living in Germany how long? Uh, twenty years, oh. I guess. Twenty years. Yeah. Okay. Twenty twenty one years. So should we jump to the how we got reconnected? story. Yeah. That's a crazy story too. It's one of my favorite stories of all time because it, it now has become such a great bookmark ending to the how Simon and I Mm -hmm. met story. Okay. So you're in Germany and we have not seen each other since we were in Knoxville together in the nineties. Or really spoken. Yeah. Or or even spoken. Because you were on Facebook, but then you left Facebook. You like disappeared. Yeah. I, I do, I'm not on Facebook any longer. So no one should no. be. I sh- no, 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 seriously, no I, one should be. Because it's not the same way it was when it started, that's for sure. Right, right. So you're in Germany. I have left the South a long time ago. We've totally lost touch. And yeah. Annette Mason Gregg, she is a friend from San Diego. And mm-hmm. she and her husband and her son are out visiting Colorado because their son was looking at CU Boulder college. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of traveling around different parts of the area. And I told them, look, you have to see Red Rocks. You know, it's winter, December, it was their Christmas break. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, even though there's no show, you've got to come see Red Rocks because, you know, she and I grew up listening to you two live at Red Rocks and falling in love with it. Yeah, like, that's a great yeah. album. And yeah. so I'm like, you've got to come and see it and check it out. So that's the plan for the day. And I bring my dogs because it's a hiking area as well. It's not just yeah, it's the, the yeah. concert area. Yeah. Most people don't realize that. And I have now persuaded Simon and Nettie's family to go inside of Red Rocks where they have the sort of Red Rocks Musical History Museum inside. And I'm at the top area just hanging out with the dogs who've done our hike, but I'm not going to leave because then we won't find each other and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden... I walked past you and I said to myself, that can't be. (laughs) I saw you and I said, that can't be. And I was walking with uh, my daughter and she's like, what is it, mom? What is it? You know, she was like, she saw my reaction was like, like I almost like I saw a ghost, (laughs) you know, like I, I, like I I was just so surprised. And then I turned around and I, I called your name. Right. And I turn and I immediately say, Diane, two ends. Yes, exactly. And I was like, Lauren, no, is that you? No way. And then I didn't actually see Simon because he was, I did see him at the very end because he came back up or so. And I think he did. He was, I had the feeling he was like, who is this? Yeah. Like, I, like he was like, do I, do I know this person? Because I mean, of course you wouldn't expect to run into me there after 20 some years. Okay. So that was a trip and I got to meet your German family. And so you're standing there with my doggy family and please tell everyone what brought you, like why you were in Colorado in general and what brought you to Red Rocks that day. So surprisingly, much of my family lives in Colorado now. So every other year we go back for the holiday, the winter holidays. 
And so one year we're in Germany and one year we're there. And that particular day, Flo and I were like, okay, we've just been eating too much and we need to, we wanted to get out and do a hike. And my niece lives in around Edgewater and she has a dog and we're like, Hey, you know, we, we were staying with her. We decided to go out and stay in Denver for a couple nights. And she said, let's go do a hike at uh, Red Rocks. And we're like, yes, that's exactly what we want to do. And, you know, she also has a dog. So, you know, I think maybe a lot of people who have dogs know, love to go hiking around there too. It's, it's really beautiful. And I, it just was like, I mean, we could have been there at any point in the day. Mm -hmm. You know, we could have been at, we could have been there at the same time and never even walked past each other. It's a big area. Yeah. It's not like, right. you know, so, you know, we literally walked past each other or I walked past you. So it was meant to it be. Was. It was meant for me to see you again. Yeah. yeah. To connect again. And I think that that's kismet, you know, that it just had yeah. to happen where, yeah. I don't know. I still can't, even after all these episodes, I still can't define most of these words, you know? And I think that besides serendipity, which is a very made up word where yeah. someone said, I'm going to craft this word, you know, definitions or whatever. So, you know, when you look back on your life stories and you hear all these different episodes with all these words, chance or fate or serendipity or kismet mm -hmm. or the universe or God or karma. karma. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. What words fit your life stories? Hmm. You know, actually, you know, with the focus of this podcast, I, you actually kind of, in your own just self-description of it, it's about things that happen, like, you know, serendipity, I think is one of the primary words that you used. And I thought about that. And there are a few times in life where I think like there is no other way, like they are re-meet. There is just so many stars that aligned to make that happen. You know, you, you do wonder if there's some kind of fate. That's another word for us, right? That we could throw in that pot that, that leads you in a certain direction without you knowing. And, you know, I, don't, I think over the years, you, so many times things happen and like something like that, like sort of shakes you, you know, like you're really aware of it. But how many things happen that you, you're not aware of that, that sort right. of choices that you make that bring you to a certain place or establish your path in a, this direction or that direction or bring people into your life or take people out of your life. So I, I don't, don't really feel I've, I always have had that kind of reflection unless it was something that was so profound, like when we re-met, you know, and there's always like a few incidents like that in your life where you really think like, how, what was the, you know, what is the chance of that? Right. Because I think that's, you know, going back to the head and heart thing, I tend to probably follow my head a lot, mm. you know, like I, and I, and then the times that it's been really meaningful, I've probably followed my heart. Yeah. So, you know, that's, if I have to reflect on that, I'd say, you know, more of the times when I actually just said, I'm doing it, it doesn't make any sense. I'm doing it. You know, those are always, because I think you're also out of your comfort zone, right? Your head wants to keep you safe and in your comfort zone and, you're, you're growing, of course, everyone knows when you're kind of thrown into situations that you're just trying to figure out and, and make decisions and you're forced to re think about who you are and what kind of person you want to be and what choices are important for, for your own, even I, I say like your own ethical choices, sort of, you know, those are the times when you really have to grow. Yeah. And I think that your head is, slower to catch on to things and your gut 
knows things quicker. Yeah. And so that's the growth I, too. Sometimes just between the head and the heart is the growth. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think too, that I, I've, you know, being, you know, moving to Germany was putting me completely out of my comfort zone and so many levels and so many ways you almost start to not rely on your head because you realize it's not a reliable mm. uh, source because it just, it doesn't know. It doesn't understand everything always around <laughs> it. And you end up relying a lot more on your, you know, sort of fine tuning this thing that you're just following with your feeling, your, you know, your, your intuition a bit more. So that has been, I think, something probably that, you know, has flipped for me. I was probably much, now I probably am much more willing to follow an instinct that I have than I, than I was uh, previous to moving to Germany, for sure, I would say. I was very structured. I'm still a structured person, but I, I was very structured and like, I'm going here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for two years, and then I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to get a job, and then I'm going to, yeah. you know, like we all think in our heads, especially perhaps when we're younger. But now I, I feel like I have this a bit more fine-tuned. I, I, I'm quicker between my head and my heart than I, used, than I would have been 20 years ago, for sure. Yeah, I think that's really that's really good way of looking back at yourself, for sure, and your growth. So the people that I commonly talk to kind of fall into two camps. Like if I tell them the Diane Chuen's story mm-hmm. of Red Rocks, Half of them are like, no way, that's crazy. Oh my God. Or that's cool. Like, you know, weird, Mm -hmm. no big deal. Shit. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. You know, whatever. Yeah. You know, and of course I'm more, I gravitate more to the no way people. So me too. Yeah. I I don't under, I don't undervalue that. You know, I really, how many times I've been to Colorado without really knowing you're, you're living there or where you lived in Colorado. Yeah you know, I go back every other year for 20 years, yeah. you know, so I've been there 10 times and it doesn't mean any of those times that I would have run into you like that. So. Right. 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 A lot of times we would go away for Christmas, you know, so we were home. Also, yeah. So sure. the odds yeah. of us meeting over the years are infinitesimal really. Yeah, so, really. so you then tell probably, you know, your German family and Florian's family and whatever about your trip. And were they more yeah. the no way, or were they more like the, oh. um, <laughs> well, I, I was with my niece at the time okay. as well. Cause she was the one that brought us there. Right. Yeah. And she, and the, she was like a no way kind of person. And then I, I told other people in my family, cause we were still there and they were all like, no way. Cause they, they have a, a point of reference for my life. You know, like you, I did AmeriCorps, like Florian's family's point of reference doesn't start there, right. you know? So I, I may have said, you know, I ran into someone I hadn't seen in 20 years and they would have thought that was kind of spectacular too. But my, I think my family was more like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's so cool that you got to run in and see an old friend, you know, that you hadn't and essentially that, you know, we really lost touch, but there was no reason why we would have wanted to have lost touch you know? Yeah. Just situations and circumstances. And you know, that's so funny when I think about it too, it's like, you say you lost touch. I mean, we were on the cusp at that time of being really able to, like you said, like right before Facebook came out where everybody could have stayed in touch, you know, like now, if you were to be in a group like that, nobody would ever Mm -hmm. lose touch. Right. But you know, we were still like this, the digital... Not non-natives, yeah. if you will. Like it just didn't exist this technology to to be able to do that. Yeah, we didn't even have cell so phones it's, back in AmeriCorps. No, they didn't come like five no. years later. I there think. was nothing like that, or or yeah. longer. Yeah. I think even I, I I'd have to Google that. Yeah. But 
I'm pretty sure that was even even later. So besides things like this happening in the US, I'm sure that you've had some experiences like this in Germany too, right? You have any serendipitous stuff to tell us about in your life there? You know, I I think that some of the things how I probably a lot of how I ended up moving, you know, or, or how I changed jobs. And, you know, you, you think, is that like part of networking or is it, is it just very interesting that you happen to meet that mm -hmm. person, you know, that brought you there? One thing is um, we did live for three years in England or two and a half years in England. And when we came back, I had quit my job in Germany. And then when we came back, we went for Florian's job there. Macy was just turned four and I really didn't want to, kids go to school at age six here. I think that's the same in the US. Roughly, yeah. I think, mm -hmm. yeah. I was like, you know, I don't want to go back into like a full-time job and, you know, I want to be there in this, these next few years with her. So we decided, oh, okay, that's fine. And I would look for a job that really fit a child's school schedule, which is really almost impossible to find. But, you know, that's the kind of thing where I had met somebody who said, oh, I, we know this place. And the next thing I know, you know, I, I send my CV in and, and then two hours later they call me, you know, so it's just it, like those kinds of things that I feel like so many times I'm just grateful for these things that come into your life. And I don't know if they're, like you said, was that karma? You know, like, well, maybe I was really kind to somebody in the UK, who knows? And, you know, so now uh, it comes back to me when I'm here. I, you know, I don't know, but I, I can acknowledge them as something, you described it as being pivotal, you know, something that, it, you know, you can say, hey, this has happened and it, it changed the path I yeah. was on. Because there's a big difference with someone who's just there and someone who makes something happen or ha or this thing happens because of them you know and that's that's why yeah. you have pivotal people in your life and you have people who are and I'm not taking anything away from them it's just that they're there as well they're more on the sidelines yeah. or they're yeah. more like holding your hand or something besides that mm -hmm. epicenter that everything's revolving around yeah yes yeah so what has let me see how I want to phrase this. If you look back and you say, I never thought I was going to end up in Germany, like you said about how you studied French and Spanish, right? Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. have you, what have you like seen about your life there uh, that you would never have envisioned if you had stayed in the U.S.? Um, I feel, well, I mean, you know, the U.S. at this moment to me is just complete the word I would use is disbelief, you know, when I see and watch over the last, you know, four years, how much can be destroyed, I say that, destroyed or changed or things that were never, you never would have questioned your, you know, now you're, you can honestly be worried about. So when I see what's happened there, I think, wow, I am really fortunate to be here. I don't have any, I mean, Europe is not perfect and Germany is not perfect and nowhere is perfect. I, by no means do I want to imply that, but I feel like, like I don't worry about so many things that if I were in the U S I feel like I would, would be very worried about at this point and having watched it's, it's hard for me to watch from here 
Yeah. And I, I can't imagine, I can't, I, you know, I go back to the U.S. and I feel I do not know the U.S. anymore. You know, like it's a very strange place to be in. You know, I've, in Germany, I will probably always be some kind of Auslander, you know, like a foreigner, you know, a foreign person. Just, you know, if you don't grow up and I'm, you know, like that in a, in a certain place, you kind of always have that feeling, although no one makes me feel that. But, you know, you just, there's certain things, you know, you just don't get or you just learn for the first time and you think like, wow, oh, wow, I didn't know anything about that. And in the U.S., you feel like you should know it. I feel like I should know it. And I go back and I'm like, what the what? I, it's very, you know, so many things have changed and unfortunately not for the better. That's my feeling. And it's at such a fast paced, changing, mm-hmm. fluid situation. I, I don't, don't feel, you know, my two weeks I go and spend, you know, a year or so, I, I can't get the feeling. I can't understand the people. And I, and I really think, I really think both sides, you have to understand where people are coming from. I really want to try to understand even the side I don't agree with. I think, you know, you, you can't have a dialogue and that's what's so desperately needed in so many of these situations. If you, if you can't really put your, you know, find that empathy to put your, your, your feet in their shoes and really try to understand how did they get to be like this? Or how did they get to feel like this? Or why is, would they consider this to be a valid response? Mm. But I, I feel so far away from being able to yeah. do that at this time. Are the people that you commonly know in Germany asking you like, what the hell? Why, why is America like this? Absolutely. I mean, I think all of Europe, I, I can't speak for all of Europe. Of course, I can only even speak for just my small group of people I know in Germany, but they're, yeah, they can't, you know, they, I, you, you read in the, in the, in the newspaper or something, you know, like, oh, America has lost its uh, power or its value or its influence or whatever it is in in other places of the world. Yeah. I mean, like most people, when I first came here, they were like, oh, wow, I would have always wanted to go to America. I meet people now and they're like, I want to go to Canada. Mm. You know, they're like not interested in going to the US. I mean, they really, what they'd love to see North America and maybe they wouldn't say no, I, I guess if they felt safe, you know, which is another thing that a common point of conversation, which is, you know, gun control here. They just cannot believe guns in the US uh, and how people think it's okay to have assault weapons and things like that's just you know if you want if you're a hunter yes if you're you need something for security maybe yes but you know there's there's varying degrees of these things and I think they just feel like it's just no control yeah. and it, you know I, I like I said I don't live in the US and I don't know that I, I can only infer from what I read and see and hear and right but yeah. well, you know, we would go to England pretty much every other year yeah. too for ages and yeah. ages. And then we would go to Europe as much as possible. And I remember being in Ireland right before the 2016 election and people would hear my accent and just start yelling at me about Trump. Yeah. And I'm like, look, dude, I am not voting for that fucker. And don't blame mm, the world's yeah. problems on me. So, yeah. But they do feel there is this collective irresponsibility going on. Well, there is a collective irresponsibility feel, in this country, for sure. Yes, I would agree yeah. with that. That you have nothing to do with, but I mean, that's how you're, you, well, you elected. I interrupted you, but you know, like I re- remember when I was, I have, you know, American friends here and at work, people were like, 
is that true? Is that possible for Trump to get elected, you know, to 2016? We're like, he won't even make it to. Yeah, that's what we all thought. <laughs> he won't even get out of the primary. Yeah. And then it's like, uh, but then, you know, like something weird, there seemed to be a shift, you know, like as soon as Brexit, they voted for Brexit. And I thought to myself, my God, after that, that was like a month before he, the primaries ended and Trump got to be the candidate. I thought to myself, it could happen. Yeah. It really could happen. At that point, I thought, if, I never thought that Brexit would happen. And then it did. And then I thought this could really happen. Yeah, totally. That's a, the exact same progression for me. So yeah. I don't want to end on a horrible note. No. Horrible note. You don't want to do that. So as often comes up, books, particularly movies, TV, yes. music, whatever, but particularly books, right. you know, because I firmly believe that people come into your life at a, the right time. I also think that books come into your life at the right time. And you, as a person who yeah. had to move so far away and then try to find books in English over there, probably. Yeah. So you had to decide what books yeah. to take with you, if any. Yeah, back in those days, it yeah. was like suitcase, yeah. clothes or books. And then, yeah. so what are your books that you want to share with this audience about your life? You know, I one of the first books I think that really probably had a, it had a big impact on me just as a way of like really looking at the world in a different way was The Fountainhead. Mm. And I know that someone else had referenced Atlas Shrugged, but I read of The Fountainhead before that one. And I, and I really felt like that her philosophy was just, I had never seen this sort of take life by the horns approach kind of like it's so, so methodically spelled out in this mm. story. Yeah. So I think that was one of the books that was interesting for me. And I also had just been in an automobile accident. So I was really laid up um, at the time. And someone just gave me this book and said, you're going to need a really big book. Yeah, it'll keep read. you busy for a while. <laughs> that, yeah, exactly. So, and they said, actually, I also love this book. And I thought, oh, okay, I'll start it because I, uh, you know, what else am I going to do here? And I just, I really just, I think I just ate it up partially because I was just, I, that was a, I was living in that world sort of, you know, vicariously, which I think is what is the amazing and beautiful thing about books is that you can, you can do that. So, you know, I, re, I really enjoyed that, but I, I was sort of looking or thinking about, you know, the books that I've read like over the years. And I definitely find that I kind of lean towards historical fiction a lot. Mm. I like, and it's often very international as well. So we took a, a trip to Vietnam not that long ago when people could travel. And I read The Sympathizer. Oh, yeah. Do you know this book? I do. Yes. Yeah. So I, and I really appreciated this perspective, you know, from, first of all, just being in Vietnam as, you know, you grow up as an American and you, you know, you call it the Vietnam War and you go there and they call it the American War. Mm -hmm. And you realize, huh, I really got one-sided view on this. And I think people now clearly understand that this, you know, there's enough time and distance that people can look at this, you know, look at this conflict in a more holistic way. But I, I, I did appreciate that novel. I thought that was like, it just really put some things into to words for me that I, I uh, you know, that you may struggle with. Um, one of the last books that I just read was The Sellout. Oh, I read The Sellout too. Now, did you yeah. read that in English or German? I did. I read it in English. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, it's, I, so, it's so, so much slang, first of all. Yeah. But go ahead. You, you talk about it because it's a very hard book to talk about. Yeah. And it was very 
You know, I, I don't have that sort of California experience. Like I thought maybe, you know, I thought about you a couple of times when I was reading it, I thought like, you know, you almost need that to relate to some of the things that are going on and his descriptions and places, you know, and, and how people process things and, and, and have to, are forced to live how they're forced to live. But I really, it was a, it was a heavy book, mm-hmm. but I, I really, I did like it. You know, I I appreciated the perspective, I guess, that I'm so lacking. Well, and because it's satire, it's so hard. People have, you're like, what the fuck am I reading? Because you're like, it's just basically yanking your chain the whole time. (laughs) But so cleverly done, you know, that it's, you you see the truth that lies under it. Right. I totally agree. Yeah. That's so, I, it's so weird that you even read the sellout. I mean, it's just not something that I would ever think is available over there. I follow, I, I tend to read a lot of the Booker Prize books yes, yes. or the shortlist books. So I find them, I try to find out where I can even find them. Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, I'll have, I can order them from the UK yeah. if I can't get them in Germany. Right. And a lot of times you can go to a German bookstore, of course, and say, I want this in English and you know they can get it for you. But right. it's, it, you know, it takes a bit more time to right, get right. to you. But I mean, you could really say almost all of the Booker Prize books, are, I, they're all a bit of work. Mm-hmm in their own way, yeah. but they're all mag- you know, magnificent in their own way. Most of them, I mean, some I've probably read who I thought were, eh. I'm always reading like you. I don't think there's ever a time where, you know, there's not like that next book I have already lined up. And I did belong to a book club here, an English speaking book club here, which of course, since COVID, we've not been able to meet, but it, it was uh, made up of all kinds of English speakers, which was really great because there were Australians and Scottish, English, Irish, Canadian, Americans. That was pretty much all of us. And I would love to be part of an international book group like that. Oh my God. Oh, it was fantastic because, you know, we'd be like, I'd be like, I want to read a book from an Irish author. And I don't know everything going on in Ireland and what the latest books are. And so that was really great. Like we would all sort of just rotate and say, okay, this is an Australian author. Let's read this. And this is a, an American author. So it was just, it was good. And you always sort of had a a reflection of what was going on, you know, a snippet of culture, if yeah. you will. Or... Well, what most Americans don't realize is that if you were in here in the States and said, I want to do that exact same thing, you cannot get most of the books that are available in other countries. They're just not available here. And everyone thinks, but it's America. It's the land of the free. And it's a land of commerce. Yeah. I should be able to buy anything. No, most of yeah. the books are not in this country, it's not that it's not allowed. They're not banned. They're just no. They just don't even get. They don't there, even like, get there. The publishers have literally no idea about them. So I have to go. I have to let you go. Yes. I have to go. But I have yes. either a quick question or a homework assignment for you. Okay. If you were to tell the people in the U.S. the most um, not important necessarily, but they only got to read one book about what it's like to live mm-hmm. in Germany, like during this period of time you know, I would say from, I don't know, the nineties till now, basically, Mm -hmm. you have to tell us what that book would be. By a German author. Yeah, I would assume so. Yeah. Just because it's going to be about the German experience, you know, how we always have the great American novel, you know, so the great German novel kind of a thing. Oh, right. Yes. I know most people don't call it that. I know. No, but it's interesting. Like even you wrote me, you said, well, how do Germans think about serendipity? And you know, they, like they don't really even have this word. Like they say like glücklicher Zufall, which means lucky oh. chance. 
And I mean, yes, you know, for me, it it's so logical, you know, like it's the German logic, like it's a lucky yeah. chance, you know, like serendipity, we kind of make this flowery word, like you said, you can pack a lot in there and it's got this sort of some mysteriousness about it, you know, but that was very clear, you know, like, I don't think they, it, like culturally, I, I, I have to think about it, but, you know, they don't produce this image about themselves like America does. Oh, that's what we're good at. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like you said, like this great American novel, like the great American experience, like, like nobody talks about like, or talks like that here. And that's okay. Yeah. So I, I can yeah. have a think about You're it. You're so funny, but I do have to go. Unfortunately, I have a doctor's appointment I have to run yeah. to. Okay. Thank you, my dear. I appreciate your time. Yes. Thanks again. Great to see you. Talk to it you. It is great to see you. Talk to you. And peace out, Diane. Two ends. Two ends. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Lauren. Well, Revelers, you've made it to the end of this episode and the end of 2020. It is December 11th right now. And honestly, I don't know if this will be the last episode I get out for the year. Might have one more in me, but if the next few weeks are anything like basically October through now has been, I doubt it. So I just want to plan ahead and tell you that if you're not subscribed, you should be because the subscription on your app will tell you if there's another episode, then you don't have to think. Not having extra things to think about is good. So please do that. And if you get one episode more, you do. And if you don't, you have lots more to look forward to in January. I've got like seven more in the can ready to be edited and go. So I want to do a quick recap of the year and to ask you guys uh, a few favors as I said, please subscribe. That's the first one. That would be a great Christmas present for me. But I want you to think back about the year. Um, we started this together kind of in March. I started talking to people about it. A few people were the early adopters in January-ish. But it really launched in May. And I want to thank you all for listening. And I want you to think about which episodes have really impacted you and share those, share those with, you know, an individual personally, that's the best and most effective, but also, you know, on your social media would be nice. It would help me, but I cannot tell you how meaningful this whole project has been for all of the texts and emails and calls I get reconnecting with people or meeting new people who say so-and-so really helped me. And then I can go back to that guest and say, oh my gosh, people are being so touched by your episode. So it's really important to share these episodes. It will do a world of good and you don't know how much good it's going to do until you share it. There are so many people who are struggling, who are hurting, who need a pick-me-up, who need to know a friend is thinking about them. So please, please, please do that. The other thing I'd like you to do is to, of course, read the show notes. This particular show notes is so good. It's got three pictures and you're going to love them. You're going to laugh at me for sure. 
but the show notes have all the books and book information and you can just click on it. And I would love to hear from anybody, whether it's a past guest or whether it's J random stranger that I have never met who's listened and then uh, read the book and been touched or affected in some way by a book. I would love to hear about that. It's so nice at the end of the year to review these things and to say, here's what helped me through the year. Here's what was meaningful. Here's how I've grown because of it. And we can all benefit from that. The other year in review thing that I want to mention is, you know, I take sometimes days, sometimes weeks, depending on life, editing this. And so I hear it over and over and over. And as I listen again and again, I keep thinking of all these questions that I should have asked people. You know, I try to do this very organically and let the conversation go where it wants to go. And at the time, I rarely am second guessing myself. But in the editing, my God, I can think of so many perfect things. Like in this one, we don't know why Florian came to the United States. We don't know why he chose UT. Maybe he had some serendipitous things that brought him to UT. I mean, he could have gone anywhere. There's a million schools. Why UT? So I am, I am kicking myself in the butt for not asking all the questions that I now have thought of. So if any guest wants to come back and do a part two in 2021 or beyond, totally beyond is fine. Who knows what the year will bring? Um, just let me know. I, I can promise you there's more to tell. There's things that we missed. There's things that I certainly should have asked. So I am also open to you listeners submitting questions like, Hey, if you have this person back, please ask them this. I would love that. And finally, if you have been inspired by this podcast and you want to be on, or you want to recommend someone else and introduce us, that would be great too. So I'm asking you to do a bunch of things, but I'm also asking you to just think and kind of commit to letting this be meaningful in your life. Be mindful as you're listening. Like, what is this meant to me? And what do I want to do with it? And where do we want to go in 2021? I am kind of intending on taking a few weeks off and starting in January. And we'll see what new directions 2021 brings for all of us and for Rebel Rebel. I want to thank you all listeners for being so patient with me and so supportive. And I really look forward to talking to all of you at some point in the coming year. So right now it's Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Oh, I'm going to miss some, but I'm going to try to say them all. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Um, I know I've missed some already. Uh, Happy New Year. And I will talk to you in January. January.